One of the recurring themes this year, as we have focused in on what it means to be citizens of a kingdom and ambassadors of the king, has been that tension in the idea that while we were all born into a world that lives to gratify the flesh, our new birth in Christ and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us are both challenging and enabling us to lay aside carnal desires. As we yield to his calling, a transformation in both the aim of our pursuits and in the motivations that drive us to them assert a new identity into dominance. The more closely we walk with Jesus, the more clear it becomes that while we were born here, This world really is not our home. As citizens of a heavenly kingdom and ambassadors of a holy God, our mission here is clear. To proclaim our master's message and to live a life that backs it up. The Beatitudes have taught us that every characteristic of a kingdom citizen flies in the face of the way of the world. Even the religious authorities who spent their spare time devising new ways to use God's law as a cudgel to beat down sinners and saints alike found that they were no match for the God of the law in the flesh. They relished the power that the law gave them over the people. They never dreamed that the Messiah would flip the tables, fulfilling the law and completely outing their hypocrisy in the process. And just as his challenges started to make them really angry, he then showed them how their inner impulses implicated them in the most grievous sins. Hateful hearts and lustful thoughts were as damning as the very fruits that they were so careful not to pluck. Heavy stuff. As we gear up for March for Missions, Pastor Chris had planned to bring this ship into harbor for a few weeks, skipping ahead to touch on chapter 6, and then to head back to sea after Easter Sunday. That was the plan. Now, presuming that he's back on his feet next Sunday, he plans to cover the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Please keep him and Leanne in your prayers. And so, presented with this surprise opportunity (laughs) to open God's Word with you this morning, my mind was drawn to that section of text where he'll be next week. Let's look together this morning at Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Now, if you'd like to turn there with me, I'd encourage you to do so. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? This is the word of the Lord for his people. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Father, what we are not make us. What we have not give us. What we know not teach us. For the sake of Christ who purchased our salvation and our union with you and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. may be seated. Have you ever had a hundred, a hundo, a Benjamin, or even a $50 bill that you carried around in your wallet for like months? Right? Because you didn't want to break it? Yes? What do we all say about a note like that? As soon as I break it, it's gone. Now, I've been carrying just such a bill for months myself. I don't remember where it came from, but I do know that it had to be a gift because I rarely withdraw any cash at all, let alone larger bills. I would show you, (laughs) except a funny thing happened last night when I was racing around to take dinner to Tobias, whose shift at Glade had been unexpectedly extended by seven hours. I broke it at a fast food drive-thru window. I did ask first, trying to be polite, you know, I said, I said, are you going to kill me if I break a 50 on you, honey? Nope. No, indeed. A few moments later, out sprang a fistful of small bills in no particular order or direction. It was one of those monk moments. How many of you remember monk? How many of you identify with monk? (laughs) Before I could set any of it straight, out came my order. I thanked the cashier and off I went. I had to keep moving. My son was hungry and I had sermon prep to finish. And if I only had an opening illustration. (laughs) So I delivered his meal and headed home to get back to work. Before I put those bills in my wallet, though, there was some organizing to do. I turned them the right way around and started sorting them and unfolding the corners. When I realized wait a minute, this doesn't add up. Now, I'm no mathematician, but I do know that once you've counted three times, a fourth tally is not likely to change the sum. My jaw dropped. I had been shorted. To be clear, when I said that I had been needing an open illustration... 
a free illustration was more of what I had in mind. (laughs) Now, in that moment, it hit me. Nobody likes to be shortchanged. Moving now from the ridiculous to the sublime, Scripture relates many examples of people who ruined their lives thinking they could get away with shortchanging God. When the armies of Israel were victorious at Jericho, they devoted the spoils to the Lord as he had instructed them to do. But the sin of one man, Achan, led to their defeat at Ai. When his covetous deed was uncovered, judgment came upon him and his household. Skipping ahead to the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira misrepresented, that's a fancy word for lied about, their gift to the Lord. Claiming they were giving the full price that they had received for a sale of land, but in fact, secretly holding back a part for themselves. Their judgment was swift and decisive. And there are others. What do they all have in common? Among other things, they allowed a covetous eye to fool them into thinking they could withhold some part of what they had devoted to the Lord. Let me say that again. They allowed a covetous eye to fool them into thinking they could withhold some part of what they had devoted, what they had promised to the Lord. They had made an idol of their possessions. And that is exactly what Jesus is addressing in today's passage from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, You heard me say it earlier. Whenever I meet someone new on a Sunday morning, I'm inclined to say, oh, I trust you'll feel welcome, but I can't promise you'll feel comfortable. As preachers go, Jesus was a meddler. We've all heard that verse. Money is the root of all evil, except there's no such verse. Paul actually wrote to Timothy, the love of, of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith. Now, the thing about that paraphrase of 1 Timothy 6.10 is that it's strikingly reminiscent to me of the first lie recorded in Scripture. Now, do you remember it? The first lie in Scripture? Okay, I heard you will not surely die, right? Now that's close, but it's actually the second or perhaps the third, depending on how you interpret what Eve said, but I digress. Let's go there together and look at it. Genesis 3, 1 to 4. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now what happens here? 
Pay attention. The enemy twists God's word to misdirect our first mother. It is literally the oldest trick in the book. And ever since the fall, every good thing that God created for our benefit has brought with it the possibility of capturing our passion. Good things becoming God things and usurping God's rightful place of preeminence in our hearts. Now, I don't want you to miss this. No tree in that garden was evil. God made it all good. The fruit of every tree was good. The fruit that God forbade our parents from eating was good. But it wasn't for them. Let me say that again. The fruit of every tree in the garden was good, including the forbidden fruit. It wasn't evil fruit. The Bible doesn't say that it was evil fruit. It was simply forbidden. Not for them. Off limits. After giving them every good thing in that beautiful place, God reserves the right to withhold one good thing. The evil of our parents was in coveting the thing that was not for them. But the temptation began by twisting God's words. That's what I think of when I hear 1 Timothy 6.10 misquoted. When you hear it, money is the root of all evil, you should hear the hiss of the serpent. Did God actually say, can you smell the smoke? The connection is so strong here. Same tactic, same objective to turn our hearts from God to lesser things by distorting his words, by distorting his word. So the greater context being that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Let's look at this verse again, verse 19, back in our text, Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Curiously, the Greek verb for storing up treasure here is... So that's the word for laying up treasure, right? The noun for treasure is thesauros. Really? Does that sound familiar? Let me hear you. How many of you under 35, I'm, I'm prepared for disappointment here. How many of you under 35 have used a thesaurus? Not online. Not an online thesaurus. I mean a book. Raise your hands. Oh, it warms the cockles of my heart. (laughs) Any college thesaurus worth its price is a big, thick, heavy book, right? Why? Because it's a treasure trove of words. 
It's a massive accumulation of synonyms and antonyms sufficient to make anyone sound as if they've been through honors English at the community college. Think of a huge storeroom filled to the brim with silver and gold and precious stones. All the spoils of a lifetime of pursuit. That's the image here. We're not talking about walking around money. Not a pocket thesaurus, okay? We're talking about a big, fat, unabridged vault full of college words. There's an old expression. Money's a lot like manure. You know, if you spread it around, it can do a lot of good. But if you heap it all up in one place, it really starts to stink. Now, I got to tell you, that sounds good to city folks. But if you take a rake to a nice settled heap of that stuff... You tell me how well the analogy actually stands up. I think our Lord is more on target here in how he handles this. Don't waste your life amassing vaults full of treasure for the sake of having more. Because if I've learned one thing from watching heist movies, Ocean's Eleven, The Italian Job, Ocean's Twelve, The Great Train Robbery, Ocean's Thirteen... If I've learned one thing from watching those movies, it's this. The juicier the target, the more likely it is that some crew is going to walk off with the whole shooting match. Am I right? And newsflash, when we watch those movies, we're usually on the side of the thieves where those movies are concerned. I mean, who's paying to watch a movie where the treasure stays safely tucked away in a vault for two hours? Nobody. Nobody's buying that. Heist movies are an incredibly popular genre. To give you an idea, RottenTomatoes.com has an article named, are you ready for this? The 88 best heist movies of all time. Don't look it up now. It'll be there later. But what does the existence of that article tell you? I'll tell you what it tells me. Thieves be breaking into steel. But what about moths and rust? Okay, picture a classic car in there, all right? (laughs) Our Lord continues, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, as I mentioned in a couple weeks, if the Lord tarries, we will begin a month together. An important month, considering our place in the picture of worldwide gospel missions. Every year, we hear an exhortation to prayerfully consider stepping out in faith and making a faith promise to personally engage in supporting our mission program here at Faith. If only I could think of a good example of what it looks like when we lay up our treasures in heaven. Anyway, back to the text. There's something happening here in verses 19 and 20 that I don't want you to overlook. What is it exactly that shifts between verse 19 and verse 20? Between the do not and the but do. It's not in the laying up of treasures itself. Because notice, do not lay up treasures, but lay up treasures. A little deeper. 
do not lay up for yourselves treasures. Ah, I see where he's going. But lay up for yourselves treasures. Well, that was unexpected. So this passage is not after the love of money after all. There goes a perfectly good sermon. Now what? As our old-fashioned GPS units used to say when we took an unexpected turn, rerouting, look more closely. The difference between verse 19 and verse 20 is one of location. Location, location, location. So, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but, I'm paraphrasing, do that in heaven. But why? Is it because heaven is free of insects, crooks, and oxidation? Well, that may be so, but... No, keep reading. Verse 21. For, as in, this is why, or here's your sign. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This clause has been given the name, the treasure principle, right? Now that's okay, but there is a danger here again of getting lazy because it's so familiar, of getting lazy and going with what we think we heard and not with what it actually says. The treasure principle is not that our treasure follows our heart. It is that our heart follows our treasure. Our heart follows our treasure. Are you with me? Okay, good. Because I got to tell you, I'm about to lose you. I feel confident in saying that because I confess, as I get to this point, I'm barely keeping up with this thought process. So it's kind of like 3D chess here, okay? It seems to me that the Lord is packing more into this than is apparent on its first reading. I mean, it's not the first time we've seen him do that, is it? Indeed, without verse 21... We do not have the key to verses 19 and 20. How many of you remember the film A Christmas Story? Right? How many of you know it inside and out? Do you remember when Ralphie saved up his box tops so he could become a member of the Little Orphan Annie Club, which entitled him as a member to a decoder ring? Without that ring, without that key, Ralphie would never have been able to unlock the secret message, the super important secret message. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Again, returning from the ridiculous to the sublime, verse 21 is the key to understanding verses 19 and 20. On their own, they seem to tell us that heaven is a better vault. Does that make sense? That's what it looks like they're saying on their own. Heaven is a better vault. But verse 21 blows this open. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It turns out that the nature of the treasure is inseparably tied to its location. We are not shopping for storage units in a better part of town. 
the treasures of heaven are altogether different and infinitely higher than the treasures of earth. Left to their own, verses 19 and 20 seem to be telling us about a better place for our stuff. Verse 21 opens the door to the kingdom perspective so we can be like, oh yeah, that place, that kingdom, that stuff. I don't even know what that stuff looks like, but it sure is tootin's better than the stuff we got around here. C.S. Lewis, I love this. He put it this way. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. How though? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. A fixation with earthly treasure is a sure sign that we have lost sight of our kingdom citizenship. In our pursuit of earthly treasure, we become blinded by the bling of the fool's gold here that will all burn up in the end. Remember the three rules of biblical interpretation? Context, context, context. Just a few paragraphs ago in Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Remember that? We studied that together. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As ambassadors of the king, he has left us here to reflect the light of Christ, as the moon reflects the light of the sun. Just as the salt of the first century was useless when the sodium chloride dissolved away, leaving only those mineral contaminants behind, and just as an oil lamp is of no benefit when it's covered up, so we are useless as kingdom ambassadors in this foreign land If our view is so fixated on the trivial treasures of earth that we offer no light at all. But the choice is ours. Paul instructed the church at Colossae, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Indeed, the fact that our Lord presents us that choice really should give us hope. When we pursue everlasting treasure by investing ourselves into kingdom work, he will see to it that our hearts will follow. It is something he is eager to do. 
over the years, lots of folks from this church have been down to the Dominican Republic to do various projects, to engage with the people there. Travis has just been to Kentucky and they're wrapping that project up. How much more do we who have been to these places love these places? And more specifically, the the precious people, the precious image bearers in these places. We're invested. Our heart is there. It's not just a picture on a map on the screen. This is the working out of the kingdom economy that is expressed in Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is how David could make this promise because our hearts follow what we treasure. Helen Howarth Lemel put it this way 101 years ago. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see? There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant than free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. The Apostle Paul expands this further in 1 Corinthians 3. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a ward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You say, well, yes, this is all well and good, but I can do both. Anticipating this objection, our Lord replies, well, all right then, go ahead, you're probably right. No, He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is precisely where 1 Timothy 6.10 comes to roost. For indeed, the love of of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that many have wandered away from the faith. You say, oh, well, that could never happen to me. Really? A fellow named Demas appears twice in greetings of Paul's epistles. Then suddenly, writing to Timothy, Paul said, do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has run off has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This was the despair of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. 
Behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, oh, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Truly though, as this morning's text reveals, There was nothing intrinsically evil about his possessions. But his great possessions had him. He was at the mercy of his possessions. I like to put it this way. We can serve God with our money, but we can't serve God and our money. So here's the question that arises to me from this text. Who is my master? Or another way to ask it is, do I own my possessions or do they own me? Now, praise the Lord. We live under the new covenant. We are no longer under a system of tithes but we practice grace giving. So, am I a faithful steward of the treasures with which the Lord has entrusted me? Of my time, of my resources, of my gifts and abilities, my spiritual gifts? Am I investing faithfully and generously into the kingdom? Where am I storing up treasure? In discussing this passage, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones told the story of a farmer who one day reported to his wife with great joy that his best cow had given birth to twin calves. One red and one white. He said, you know, I have been led of the Lord to dedicate one of the calves to him. We will raise them together. Then when the time comes to sell them, we will keep the proceeds that come from one calf and we will give the proceeds that come from the other calf to the Lord. His wife asked which calf he was going to dedicate to the Lord, but he answered, there's no need to decide that now. We will treat them both as equals. And when that time comes, we will sell them, as I have said. Several months later, that man entered the kitchen looking very sad and miserable. When his wife asked what was troubling him, he said, I have bad news. The Lord's calf is dead. 
But, his wife remonstrated, you had not yet decided which one was to be the Lord's calf. Oh, yes, he said. I had always determined that it was to be the white one. And it was the white calf that has died. James Montgomery Boyce adds, it is always the Lord's calf that dies unless we are absolutely clear about our service to him and about the true nature of our possessions. Who owns your possessions? He says, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us that either God owns them and you serve him or else your possessions own you and you serve them. In any case, no one ever really possesses them himself, although many persons think they do. May God give us each the victory that comes when our gifts, wealth, time, friends, ambitions, and talents are turned over to him and we use them to establish indestructible riches in heaven. Father, thank you for your word and for loving us enough to write it down. Thank you for preserving it for us. But even in all of that, Lord, you have not left us alone to try to understand it on our own. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry of illumination and application. Help us to obey. We know what you're telling us to do. Help us to obey. We love you, Lord. We want to bring you glory in our lives. And we trust that you will honor your word. May it not return void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.